0: Hi, I'm Debbie Addis. Thank you so much for tuning in to America, Can We Talk? Today we're going to talk about why the media has gone silent on the most recent of school shooting. Venezuelan native Debbie D'Souza joins me to talk about saving Venezuela and Joe Biden's two big problems, China and competency. And we'll talk about why these matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk, and again, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. All of us, of course, heard the news and watched in horror the latest story about a school shooting, this time in the state of Colorado, Highlands Ranch, Colorado. What you also may have noticed is that the media, which normally follows these stories day after day after day, often bringing news coverage to the evening news, to the opening of all the liberal news uh, websites, with the same facts. And they're really just trying to lament or draw attention to the incident. Of course, everyone feels horrible when these things happen. Everyone cares. Everyone wants these uh, horrific things to stop. Everyone wants to see a way to cure the gun violence in this country, especially in schools that were involving young people. But you also may have noticed that the media did an almost U-turn right back out of Colorado after this story, because, in my opinion, what I want to share with you today, because nothing that happened in the Colorado shooting, this most recent incident in public school, nothing fits the the left-wing media mar- narrative. In fact. Not only it doesn't fit, it puts the lie to the left-wing media narrative. To start with, and again, this is everyone has sympathy for the victims, their families, the school. These kids' lives were changed forever by this day in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. But the reason the media, the left-wing media in this country has no interest in this story, they've just stopped talking about it, starts with a few items. Number one, the two perpetrators and what they're all about. One perpetrator, one shooter, uh, is a left-leaning, Trump-hating, Christian-hating, Obama-loving student who put things up along the lines where I just mentioned to you all this this is his mindset he doesn't fit the median narrative of the uh, angry white male Christian uh, Trump lover this was a guy who hated Trump hated Christ- hates Christianity and loves Obama on top of that this first shooter was the child the son of an illegal immigrant an illegal immigrant living in Colorado who himself had been arrested. For domestic violence against his child's mother. That's one kid. The other one involved, when first arrested, the police account announced they had two perpetrators in custody, or two, um, you know, at least suspects in custody, and defined them, described them as two boys. As it turns out, as they began questioning them, it turned out the second person is actually a girl. A girl who is self-identifying as transgender moving toward becoming a boy. And most people engaged in that effort are taking the drugs required to change, the hormones required to change the female body to the male body. So we don't know for sure if this young girl was taking testosterone, but she's obviously a deeply confused and troubled young girl who is suffering in this transgender frenzy we have in this country. So those two people, the two perpetrators, do not fit the media's narrative of who they want to call bad guys in this country. Second problem, these shooters used handguns. Every time these uh, incidents happen, we hear all about the kind of guns that should be illegal and they have guns that shoot off to allow you to shoot too many shots in a row. These kids use handguns. And handguns, by the way, are the the, uh, weapon of choice, the statistical uh, most likely weapon to uh, be used in murders. And so they use handguns so they can't really attack the gun. They like to always attack and claim that somehow it was rifles or, or AR. 15s or whatever, I'm not a big gun person myself, but I do know the media always tries to jump on the kind of gun Third the media always wants to call for the elimination of um, access to guns and stricter gun control laws and stricter Just stricter rules about access to guns But Colorado had already banned the state of Colorado where this happened had already banned gun magazines that hold more than 15 uh, Rounds of ammunition. They also had just passed another in the state of Colorado another tough gun law called the red flag gun bill, which essentially allows people to report someone else they're concerned about and say, I think so-and-so maybe be planning to do something bad, you know, I'm raising a red flag, and allows authorities to look into and perhaps take guns away from that person. So Colorado is a, you know, totally on board with gun control laws, and so it's very hard for the media to um, to harp on Colorado about not having sufficient gun laws. You don't see the media, as CNN and MSNBC, over and over and over and over and over, after the Florida school shooting went back, this one student, David Hogg, and kept asking him who would just rant and rave about anything that he was allowed to talk about on air, certainly about guns, certainly about hating the Trump administration, certainly about hating Republicans. Okay, so then you also had the um, the bystanders and a whole incident that really gave the, the uh, showed the light to the world and to the media that they did not have this group of students this school um, under control they held a vigil vigil to honor the people who lost their lives the vigil was put on by the brady campaign to prevent gun violence so they have a vigil supposedly to honor the victims but of course politicians left-leaning politicians can never miss the opportunity to start criticizing guns, criticizing the Second Amendment, calling for more gun control. So they had two Democrat politicians, Senator Michael Bennett um, and another local politician apparently uh, spoke at this rally and the students during this rally that was supposed to be remembering the victims, the students instead turned, uh, had to listen to these two Democrats ranting about gun control and what they want to do, and the students staged a walkout. They protested the politicization, the politicizing of this memorial vigil for the friends they lost. So these students aren't playing the game the left-wing media wants them to play. I tell this story, and again, there, you can never express enough sympathy, concern, outrage, desire for change, desire for fixing the problem. I raise this story because it makes a couple of points about the media and where really and left wing America and where we are in this country. Number one, the media, forever and a day, wants to have the left wing narrative driven home when they can't cover the story because they know that this the point is going to come out and be raised over and over and over that one of these kids shouldn't even been in america his dad is a he, this kid is a child of an illegal immigrant who already had a criminally, a criminally violent criminal record for domestic violence against this kid's mother. They can't stand that playing on the news cycle over and over and over and over and over. They can't stand to have the news cycle question, well, you know, this transgender girl who wants to become a boy. Uh, and on all of the psychological issues arising out of the transgender movement, the, the frenzy and adoration for the transgender population that the, the left-wing media just pushes on America. They can't have those stories rolling along. On top of that, Colorado, home of very strict gun control laws, and at the same time, home of laws that are very lenient about drugs. Colorado, I think, was the first in the nation to legalize marijuana. The very day after this incident, a new ordinance went into place in Denver, Colorado, that legalizes taking um, uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms. Seriously, Colorado pushes legalization of illegal drugs, celebrates it, celebrates their culture of, hey, anything goes, drugs go, we're cool with this. And they are simply, now, I do not know at this moment whether either of the perpetrators had traces of marijuana or any other drug in their system, but other school shooters have, other violent shooters have. All of these things are things the left-wing media in America cannot stand to have America think about. Which leads me to the close of this first five. The purpose of the left-wing media stories, so many left-wing stories in this country. The purpose is forever and always to push the left-wing agenda, to repeat stories over and over and over and over and over that they can somehow be used to attack America, attack Christians, attack Republicans, attack President Trump. When the story doesn't do that for them, they run away because they really aren't interested in informing America. They're interested in shaping America's values in a very bad and negative way. I'm Debbie Georges, and that was my first five. So, we're going to turn today and talk. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us, which is just an amazingly uh, fun and great guest to have. Her name is Debbie D'Souza. She's going to be joining us by phone. I think we have her on phone while we are hooking that up and hopefully get oh, there. She is. Hi there. How are you, Debbie? great nice to see you um i'm gonna nice quickly to yeah to our listeners um debbie D'Souza as a great thing by the way i will tell you i had the chance to interview her on stage i think it was like five years ago or something she well, was here in dallas and got to interview her and she's just uh, just a a very um accomplished and um Outspoken, clear thinking. She's clear about socialism, but many other things. She was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and that's what we're going to talk about today: is her connection with Venezuela. Uh, she grew up uh, much like in America, but then you know she she talked, but it was a socialist country. So I want to have her tell us how she saw Venezuela changing. What is like now she has family that's still there she also has a singing career which you may know but i'm going to let her talk about the singing career in just a moment but i'm going to start with because i want to get you on the screen back with me um to start with again welcome thank you thank you okay so when you you moved to america from caracas venezuela from venezuela how old were you when you came to america i was uh, about to turn 10. About to turn ten, so old enough to remember. I guess you you feel like you remember Venezuela.
1: Yes, I did. I did go back in um, the mid '80s uh, because my father passed away in in '83, and so I went back to do some legal stuff with with my dad's estate. Uh, but. Um, Yes, I remember Venezuela very well. And as you mentioned, I still have family there. All of my father's family is still there. Uh, my grandparents have since passed away, uh, but I have aunts, I have cousins, many, many cousins. Uh, I keep in touch with about three or four of my cousins uh, on a daily basis. And they let me know what's going on on the ground. Uh, very, very sad situation. It breaks my heart every day that I talk to them. and. And you know, see what what they're struggling with, and and how it just all happened in in a span of actually twenty years. People people think this is all new, that this is this just happened. Uh, no, this has been happening uh, incrementally every year since nineteen ninety nine, when Hugo Chavez, uh, the then president, uh, took over the country. Uh, That was the first and only legal election. Every election since has been fraudulent. Uh, And uh, Hugo Chavez died of cancer uh, in 2013, and his vice president, who was Nicolas Maduro, became president, and I say that lightly because he cheated to get there, so he is a usurper. Uh, So anyway, so that brings us to present day, but it, it has been a struggle you you talked about gun control i'm very familiar with the gun control that happened in venezuela in 2010. um the citizens were literally stripped of their weapons they had a it's not it wasn't as called a second amendment but they had a they had gun rights um and because there was a lot of violence in the country the left decided to take advantage of the situation and cause a panic and say, you know, if you love your loved one, you will, you will surrender your weapon. It is really bad for you to have a weapon. And finally, you know, when people, when they saw that people weren't actually giving up their weapons, they confiscated them. And, uh, they cannot defend themselves against criminals who, who still have guns. And of course, you've seen the photos of the government, the uh, National Guard coming at them with all kinds of machine guns and weapons, and people are throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails because they have nothing to defend themselves with.
0: Okay, I'm gonna jump in, Debbie. You have just so, we have so much to talk about today. I just, I'm so glad you were able to join me today. Backing up to the socialism thing, you are right that many Americans look at, at what's happened in Venezuela, see the pictures of people starving, see the grocery shelves empty, and they, it's easy to forget that Venezuela, during your childhood, during your lifetime growing up, Venezuela was actually a country that was wealthy in South America, that was uh, prospering. And you, I'm, I'm going to guess you remember it from your t- childhood there as a prosperous uh, country, not too dissimilar to America, is that right? Actually, it was, it was beautiful. My, uh, my
1: mother's family lived in the Rio Grande Valley. My mother is Mexican American from Texas. And when I moved to, to the United States, to Texas, I literally came down in income. Um, I felt like I was landing in a third world country, (laughs) Venezuela, in the Rio Grande Valley, if that tells you anything, I was just, I was shocked. It was a big culture shock for me because, yes, we had we had a maid. Uh, we had all the amenities you could possibly think of, we had these beautiful shopping malls, uh, we had couture shops, there was designers, uh, I mean, my dad had a, you know, gorgeous car, it was just, it was absolutely beautiful. Just, so to see it today and see what it's become because of socialism, I can't even imagine how anyone can think that that is a good thing for any country, let alone America. But I I just can't, I I can't see it. I don't understand it.
0: You know, you're right, it is Americans Americans misled by leftists, and I'm gonna guess a little bit similar to the way The people of Venezuela were misled by Chavez, by the socialists, because it's always a promise of we'll make things fairer, we'll make sure everybody has what they need, we won't have any want, we won't have lack, everything will be better. Same thing that you hear the Democrats in America who are running as socialists telling Americans today will make things better. So, but I want to hear about these these uh, relatives you have, talk to you every day, like on the ground in Venezuela, is it as in the big cities or is it as scary as it looks as, as on television, as scary as it sees, as you see? And are there places way outside of the big cities where they're kind of free from the violence? What are you hearing from your relatives? I want to get this person on the ground picture.
1: Uh, yes. So my cousin um, is actually um, he's a he's a mechanical engineer uh, by degree, um, but he has obviously had to abandon that ship because he, he just can't he can't get work that way. So uh, he's gotten very resourceful. He was selling he was selling vehicles for a while. Um, so basically what he's doing now is just kind of coasting on what he has left. And he has been living in his SUV for the last couple of months, you know, the the electric, grid is completely just ruined it has it has overgrown moss on it it was never taken care of the infrastructure collapsed in Venezuela so the electric grid is is horrible and so they have to they they basically do like four hours on four hours off but they never tell people when they're gonna, gonna come on or come off so my cousin had to build a generator and he lives in his SUV with it when when he doesn't have electricity he goes in there Um, Many times my, my cousin has said, look, Debbie, I just want to flee this place. So he goes off to the mountains, takes his SUV, he sets up camp with his little tent and he lives like a caveman. I just can't even, like, it's it's hard to describe it because when I see his photos, when he sends me photos, and they come very slowly because he's he's using, you know, like old technology for phones. But um, it's it's just amazing to me how someone of that, you know, socioeconomic status now lives that way. Um, and then I have another cousin who, bless his heart, is not as fortunate as he is. And for a while he was literally uh, messaging me for water. He's like, can you please send me water? I need water. And I, I didn't know how to get him water. It was, it was really horrible. I-, I felt very, very bad. Uh, my cousin did say, my other cousin said, no, he got water. He's okay. But you know, it's things like that, situations like that. Yes, it's, it's worse than you can imagine. Uh, because, pe- because you only see clips. You only see little sound bites. And this is every day. People are on the streets looking for food in trash cans. Um, There were cases of people actually having to eat pets and having to eat stray dogs and cats because there was nothing else to eat. So um, this is a really horrific, horrific thing that's happening in Venezuela.
0: It most certainly is. And I want to tie in a couple of the things that are also happening in Venezuela. There's discussion about what America should try to do to help. So the, the one is just the socioeconomic deterioration. America has recognized a new that, that new leader trying to step up and say he's a legitimate leader, trying to oust Maduro. Maduro is not taking it lightly. He's there so there's fighting and America has sided with and most of the world has sided with the man who is now and i i I want to say his name correctly is it gaedo or just gato the new guy guido okay well i was pretty far off okay guido all right (laughs) so Anyway, so Guaido <laughs> wants to be in charge, and he's willing to lead, and he's willing to fight, and he's been trying to organize the people who seem to be mostly behind him. And America's recognizing him, but still it's, it's dissolved into a chaotic, and uh, you have the uh, Maduro's troops firing on, on unarmed citizens, who all are unarmed because the, the communist government, socialist government, took away their weapons, and the, the people have no way of fighting back. So there's the first question is what America should really be doing, but the second thing before we get to what America should be doing is that there have been reports about the presence of Iran, the country of Iran, and the unbelievably evil terrorist Islamic group Hezbollah. That is, they are active and on the ground and inside the country of venezuela and so i'm going to just start with have you are you aware of that have you been reading about that or do you know about that the idea that hezbollah is now rooted in iran excuse me rooted in venezuela
1: i have known about that for 10 years debbie yes um Ahmadinejad and Hugo chavez were very chummy and in 09 um, they formed a pack, a, a, nucle- a nuclear agreement. Um, but Hugo Chavez told the world that this nuclear agreement would just be for, um, you know, domestic purposes, not for nuclear Energy, weapons. Energy, right? Energy. Now, if you believe that, I have uh, oceanfront property in Arizona <laughs> to sell everybody. <laughs> because yeah. this, this actually did take place um, 10 years ago. Um, when Hugo Chavez passed away, they made sure that Iran and, you know, and Venezuela kept close ties. So, so basically what happened is this man by the name of Tarek El-Assami um, became the vice president in 2017 with Maduro. He is now doing something else. I think he's uh, like interior minister of something. But he has close ties to Hezbollah and so what they what they've done basically and this is you know when you when you asked me earlier about uh in in an email about uh you know people reporting that thing that they would see trucks in farsi so iran has has training camps there hezbollah training camps now there had been daily flights from tehran to caracas uh ongoing for many years they they stopped them in 2010 but they have continued them recently now nobody knows what was in those flights uh they know that it wasn't people but they're not quite sure what what it what was in it so because they didn't go through your through your normal channels of going in through you know security or anything like that they kind of were escorted off to one side of the airport so um The uh, many people have reported and even, you know, the um, the NIT, the nuclear threat initiative has reported that there are Hezbollah training camps throughout Margarita Island, which is part of Venezuela. And as you know, um, Hezbollah, Iran, Hezbollah um, hates America. And as you know, Maduro hates America. So so that alliance is is very, very lethal and you know you asked me about what would i think you know as far as helping venezuela like as a as a person who has family in venezuela i am crushed that they are suffering and i want america to help them you know with the humanitarian effort and and crisis however as an american i am petrified that there are training camps and, and not to mention uh people in the venezuelan government that are iranian that are muslim terrorists um they are 1600 miles away from us so this is not something that's in the middle east this is like right here and um as you know as an american i i'm just petrified at the thought that they can they can penetrate via water uh they can even cross the panama canal and go through through land they can go through central america into mexico there are reports, even in Mexico, that some of the cartels in Mexico are in cahoots with Hezbollah and Hamas. Yep, yep. They, they are the ones that have actually, they taught them how to make tunnels so uh, and cut off people's heads. So this, to me, is a huge threat to our national security. And, you know, I don't want to read about it later that, oh, you know, we missed the boat on Venezuela, so Iran and Russia have Venezuela and we don't. Uh, I I don't want to read those headlines.
0: I know. And, you know, I have that same concern. I mentioned to you in an email before our show today that uh, there's a lot of discussion. State Department experts uh, are saying, well, you know, we don't really can help Venezuela in many ways, but we really shouldn't do anything military. And I'm and I think it is with the notion that, you know, our U.S. interests truly at risk is the argument with the State Department people. Well, you know, right down they're just down there right now, they're not hurting us. But I think when you compound the The suffering of the Venezuelan people, the evil of socialism, the government firing on crowds of of individuals. of innocent people in the cities, uh, on the streets of Venezuela, compounded with you have the uh, Iranians have just wormed their way in to Venezuelan culture. As you say, there are people in the government now who have Iranian connections, who have Muslim connections, who have terror connections to Hezbollah. And I'm going to tell you the uh, one thing I thought was great. Although I'm not sure what will come of it, but I do know that our in America, our John Bolton, who was our national security advisor, gave a speech which was actually back in yeah November of last year, so whatever that is, five months ago, where he referred to the, uh, he used the expression, the axis of evil. He also used the troika of tyranny, the triangle of terror, but he's referring to three countries in Latin America, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. So he's talking about those three, those three, just from the perspective of the just conquest mentality of socialism. The conquest mentality of countries like Cuba and Nicaragua, they're banding together. I mean, socialism is never friendly. It's never a friendly, you can choose it if you want, and then get back out of it. It's always trending towards tyranny, always trending toward communism. So there's at least awareness by John Bolton, uh, therefore obviously President Trump, that there's a very serious problem in uh, Latin America. And then there's a compound that with our knowledge, as we've been talking about. In fact, the, the government, our State Department has acknowledged Iran, Hezbollah, and Venezuela. They've called it the uh, Iran-Hezbollah-Venezuela axis. There's awareness in our government that what is happening in Venezuela isn't just an isolated, you know sat deeply tragic human situation of starving people because of socialism but it carries a risk to to america uh, and a risk that we have we are would certainly be justified in responding to in a very harsh way in a, in a very strong way because as you say i'm sorry would you say 1600 miles away yes yeah 16, that, that. it's
1: actually it's actually closer to fly from caracas to miami than it is to fly from miami to san diego
0: that's a really good marker because everyone can picture that. That that's amazing. Okay, so do you have any sense from your family you talked to down there? Are they wishing the Americans would do more to help them? They do. They want military action. They they didn't at
1: first, but they've had it. They are they are just beyond. Um, I think um, at this point they feel like that is the only way that they can oust Maduro. Uh, he, you know, as as I said, Maduro is is not the uh, the president. He is a usurper. The Constitution of Venezuela calls for free elections that are not fraudulent, and this one was fraudulent. So, um, so Guaido was able to go to the, um, you know, it's it's sort of like Congress. Uh, the National Assembly and and say you know this man is not constitutionally the president, and so he is only the interim president. He is not he has not declared himself president you know forever. He is doing it until they are able to elect a a real leader, uh, a legal leader. And so uh, there is a woman by the name of Maria uh, Machado, I believe her name is, and um, she's she wants to run for president. So um, this is. Uh, this is a really good if they can get to that point. Unfortunately, because Iran and Russia have a lot at stake, I don't think that they're gonna even allow for Maduro to step down, even if he wants to, even if he's willing to do it, I don't think that they're going to allow him to do it. So again, I believe that the only way to get him out is militarily. Um, I know a lot of people are going to be mad at me for saying that because they don't want us to intervene. There has to be a smart way of doing it. I am not talking about uh, going in the country and, and occupying the country as we've done before in the Middle East. The Venezuelan people are very proud people, and they don't want occupation. They just want strategic help. And once they get it, I believe that they can just go off and, and, and fend for themselves. But they have to get this cancer out, and they have to do it now.
0: Debbie D'Souza, I cannot let this interview end without talking a little bit about who you are and what you've done in your life. Uh, first of all, I love your activism and speaking up for the people of Venezuela, So I thank and, and again, socialism. You've, I've heard you on that topic many times. But you're also, you're, our listeners may guess, from the unique last name, you are the wife of Dinesh D'Souza, who's also joined me on this show. But in your own right, you're just an amazingly accomplished woman. And if you recognize her uh, look at her face at all, she actually sang in, she's a recording artist, she sang "God Bless America." And um, uh, you, actually, you go tell you, you sang in several yeah. of your husband's films.
1: So, right. So Hillary's America, I sang at the end of the movie. I sang "God Bless America." It was um, it started out a cappella at the very beginning, and then it kind of went on before the national anthem, and then in the last movie, "Death of a Nation," uh, which was out uh, last August. Um, I sang, Oh, America. And this time in Hillary's America, you didn't see me. You only heard me. But in Death of a Nation, I was actually shown I was singing. I had a green dress on and was singing um, from on a stage and sang Oh, America. Uh, my husband came on and said, you know, Debbie's country of Venezuela is in tyranny and and she doesn't want it to end this way for us. And then he said and then he didn't say, Here's my wife Debbie singing and so a lot of people had no idea that was even me. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's okay, actually, but it, but yes, it was me, and uh, it was a lot of fun to do. So uh, I'm not sure that I'm gonna sing in the next film, which by the way, is coming out next next uh, next summer, 2020. Um, we're cooking that up right now, uh, but I might sing again. You never know.
0: <laughs> I will tell cheap. you, your, your singing is heart-melting. It really is heart-melting uh, and beautiful. Love, I, I just love you. the two of you working together. you both just strong believers in freedom and, and willing to get out there with your faces, your voices, your talents, and, and make the argument to the American people. So thank you for all you've done. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Love talking with you. Thanks for joining me. That, my friends, is Debbie D'Souza. She is Dinesh D'Souza's wife. She's, as you know, her. I asked her, I will tell you right before the show, I had a long resume I found online. She said, no, 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 I'll text you something. And I was trying to read from the text while I was talking with you. She is just an, a most accomplished woman. Before she even met Dinesh D'Souza, a singer, a very successful singer in her home country and here, and uh, obviously just a uh, fabulous addition. an asset to her husband Dinesh D'Souza's work. And now, my friends, turning to our last topic, you know, uh, I I mentioned a couple months ago that I was going to start doing something like a little bit of a focus on every single one of the Democrat uh, uh, presidential candidates. However, the Democrat presidential candidate list has become so long that I am going to uh, put that effort off for about a year and find out who's really left in the mix uh, a year from now. Because, well, of course, you, we just had someone new uh, weigh in. I think it was the governor of Montana. Uh, obviously, you never heard of him before, but he's announced he's running for president. So the Democrat field is wide open uh, in the sense of, I think there are up to 22 declared candidates for the Democrat nomination for the presidency in 2020. I want to focus in on Joe Biden today, though, and for a couple of reasons. First is Joe Biden, um, as everyone knows, was President Obama's vice president. So he's served in the White House. He's served in the Senate. He's a longtime public figure, well-known. Everyone knows him. He jumped into this race I think he was number 20. I think there have been 19 previous Democrats who declared. He jumped in and almost immediately he catapulted to the top of the list. Where all the polling showed that many Democrats were excited by uh, Joe Biden getting in the race. And so he's at the top of the, uh, I'm talking about polling in terms of people saying who they, uh, Democrat voters, who they'd likely vote for. Not in terms of fundraising, but in terms of polling apparently accurate polling saying who you know who you'd vote for so I want to mention two big problems he has um, and actually I, I could have called it three big problems um, but I want to start with just you know I mentioned the other day in the show something about um, Joe Biden is soft on China and, and problematic on China and I had um, a couple emails you know my listeners email me and you can email me at America can at gmail.com and saying you know why are you saying that what what, what has he done that's so bad and as with many things, our financial entanglements, it's hard to summarize them in a quick paragraph. So you have to read. You have to read what went on between the Biden family and China and the Biden family and Ukraine to begin to understand the depth of weasley. Corruption there. But uh, there is a book about this, uh, not just about the Bidens, but about um, it's called Secret Empires, that recounts a lot of the ways that the very high echelon people in America, the ruling elite class, have their money, their wealth, their business connections intermingled with some countries that America might consider enemies. Biden is one of them. And I'm an equal opportunity critic. I will also mention to you that Mitch McConnell. And his wife Elaine Chow, are in that same book and criticized for their entanglement with Chinese uh, money. But let me just hit these points on Biden and about um, China. The book that I hope you will read that is called um, uh, just lost the name of it, um, Secret Empires, and it has is by this guy Schweizer. He wrote an article which you can go read. I actually captured the article for you uh, and on my website, which is. AmericaCanWeTalk.org on the homepage under shows go down list of links. You can find this article. It summarizes the intermingling and the really just kind of uh, not um, I don't know unethical. I don't know if it's illegal, but certainly unethical conduct connecting uh, Biden and China. The short answer is: In 2013, Vice President Biden and his son Hunter flew aboard Air Force Two to China, so Biden is still vice president. Less than two weeks later, as Joe Biden and his son Hunter are over in China, less than two weeks later, Hunter Biden's firm inked a 1 billion, B as in boy billion, private equity deal with a subsidiary of the Chinese government's Bank of China. The deal later expanded to 1.5 billion. In short, the Chinese government funded a business that was co-owned, by the son of Joe Biden, the sitting then sitting vice president, that book *Secret Empires* lays out this um, lays out this relationship, and there's a lot more to it. But if you notice in recent weeks, when Joe Biden was speaking, making campaign speeches, he will not condemn China in the slightest. In fact, he says China's our friend, it's our ally. He had a famous speech years ago where he said it pays, America's better off if China's more prosperous, it pays for America to support Chinese prosperity. So how good do you think he will be in negotiating with China in the way that President Trump is now negotiating with China? trying to, as we talked about in the show yesterday, if you didn't see this segment, you should go back and listen to it because you we went through on this show how difficult it is for President Trump to do the trade negotiations with China because for decades America agreed with some underlying rotten wrong assumptions that America should somehow continue to negotiate with China, continue trade deals with China, where China's... There are a multitude of ways in which the Chinese government's involvement with corporations, the Chinese government's conduct, their theft of intellectual property, uh, their demands that they, they get access to the intellectual property of companies they deal with. There was a whole long litany described of why the deals America's had with China for decades have been wrong, have been unethical. So President Trump is trying to uproot to uproot decades of wrongdoing on the part of america in terms of america surrendering our interests you know protecting china's interests to the detriment of the american people the american businesses american jobs so trump is working now with his negotiating team with china we have so we have the trade deals horribly unbalanced we put a chart up yesterday if you go back to yesterday's show you can see it horribly misbalanced Chinese trade with with America and so that's part of what we're trying to correct because as we've been arguing and many people saying you know if you have if you say you want free trade but the trade is corrupt if one party is corrupt if one party is doing things that are wrong chanting free trade was what we stand for doesn't really mean anything. It has to be fair. It has to be transparent. It has to be open. Part of what America is pushing in this current trade deal with China is saying, whatever it is you're committing to, China in these deals, you have to actually write it into Chinese law. And that was one of the reasons that China pulled back from the negotiations with the Trump team and said, you know, you're pushing too hard. We're giving too much. Well, they were being pushed, they, China, were being pushed to end, to put a stop to, to end the unfairness and the just kind of the things that were in place for decades that have to end. Joe Biden is not going to do that with China. He will put America right back in the crummy situation we were with, in, with China for decades because Joe Biden is beholden to them his son is beholden to them. Read Schweitzer's book, Secret Empire. Second, and also entanglement of, of uh, Biden very quickly, is the Ukrainian deal. The Ukrainian, which is different from China, obviously, but the Ukrainian mess created also by Biden. In summary, and this, this again, I'll tell you, the New York Times came out with this story. So you know, by the way, the New York Times is not coming out with a hit piece on Biden Except that they want very much for Biden to get out of the race. The left in this country, it may be that Biden's popular with the voters, that he's polling as the most likely person to be their choice to be the Democrat presidential candidate. But the left-wing mob in this country, the New York Times, Washington Post, the Democrat Party, the radical left of this country, does not want Biden he's not socialist enough for them. So the Times, New York Times, trying to take out Biden, ran this piece essentially pointing out that in the final year of the Obama presidency, so in 2016, Biden threatened to hold withhold $1 billion in United States loan guarantees if Ukraine leaders did not dismiss the country's top prosecutor, Victor Shokin, who'd been accused of turning a blind eye to corruption in his own office and among the political elite. Bottom line, benefit to biden the pressure campaign also just so happened to benefit biden's younger son hunter who is then getting paid as much as fifty thousand dollars to sit on the board of a burisma holdings a ukrainian energy company that was in shokin's sights to summarize biden is demanding the Ukraine kick out a prosecutor who's looking closely at wrongdoing involving Biden's son. Last little shot at Biden today, just I I tell you folks, I'm going to do a lot on these presidential candidates as time rolls on. But the last thing that was kind of amazing was that President Obama's former um, defense secretary President Obama's defense secretary, so he's defense secretary while Biden is the vice president, was interviewed um, and said, essentially, that he he said, essentially, Joe Biden, he said the positive, it's impossible not to like him, he's a man of integrity and capable of hiding, blah, 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 doesn't hide what he really thinks. Still, he's been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four years. Decades. This is the Obama, Obama defense secretary, Robert Gates, saying Joe Biden, who wants to be your president, has been on the wrong side of every national security issue, every national defense issue, foreign policy for 40 years. And I'll tell you, we'll talk more about Biden probably as, as time goes on. But I think the Democrats' problem is most of the people running for president are so radically left- that the that mainstream America is saying I don't want to be socialist. I don't want to do reparations. I don't want uh, socialized medicine. I don't want what all these radical leftists, Democrat presidential candidates want. America doesn't want that. So Biden is offering something that can appeal to more Democrat voters. But the Democrat media mob, the left-wing mob in this country is not going to let Joe Biden get that nomination. I'll just tell you my little two cents what I think will happen. I think... That at the end of the day, the candidate on the left who will emerge as a Democrat's presidential candidate to take on President Trump in 2020 will be Michelle Obama. I know she keeps saying, Oh, well, I'm not interested. Who me? I don't want to do that. Not me. Yeah. I think she is their ace in the hole. I think they think she's the one who can bring people out. I think the Democrats, I mean, I know she said numerous times recently she wouldn't even think of it, doesn't want it. That's who I think they're going to end up with because I don't think the, the, um, people who are seen as the you know the most leftist I don't think that I don't, I don't think first of all Joe Biden is um, palatable the, the New York Times the, the left-wing America will destroy him before we get to the nomination process I think the other people who declared are just not getting traction with the American people I think the Dems are going to throw Michelle Obama in to the race in 2020 and now Wrapping up my show every day, I like to do. I want to wrap up the show with all of the stories we talked about today and why they matter to you. Why the Colorado shooting the school story matters so much. The media dropped this story just because handguns, not semi-automatic weapons, they're not interested, parent of one alleged killer, illegal immigrant with a criminal record, they don't want people talking about that, that the same shooter with the illegal immigrant dad, hates Christianity, hates Trump, loves Obama, he put it in his own words in his own social media the other shooter is a trans girl likely taking testosterone impacts of all this transgender uh frenzy going on this country the mainstream media tries to sell gun control narratives not news when facts don't fit the narrative no story lesson to you tune them out next thing on the, uh, the story about colorado this is a great tweet this guy points out the truth. Modern journalism is all about deciding which facts the public shouldn't know because they might reflect badly on Democrats. Amen to that. On Venezuela, in our great conversation with Debbie D'Souza, socialism made a rich country poor. The big government controlling folks socialists disarm the citizens who are now lamenting that they allow that to happen because they're helpless in the face of the, the uh, troops the, that Maduro is sticking on the people Iran and Hezbollah at least makes Venezuela more the pot, whatever how America should react makes it more than just about socialism fight socialism in America keep free markets support the second amendment recognize Iran's terror in South America matters because they're right around the corner on biden and china you just need to read schweitzer's book secret empires uh, about joe biden his son china camouflaging the criminality of the ruling class even obama secretary of defense bob gates said biden is wrong on every major national security and foreign policy issue i'm telling you folks joe biden will bring back everything america rejected in 2016. plus even his own team says He's incompetent. I'm Debbie Georges. This is America Can We Talk, which I love doing every day. Talking with you every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Come back tomorrow. Talk to you then. America can we talk? Truth about America.